Christmas is just a couple days away, and we are we're still here. 12, 21, 2012 has come and gone, and the, the world has not ended. Now, if there are any Mayans in the congregation today, don't feel badly. You aren't the first and won't be the last to make a wrong prediction. You're in good company. We've all made wrong predictions. Listen to a few here from the past that I'm sure the speakers and writers wish they could retract. Business Week, August 2nd, 1968. With over 15 types of foreign cars already on sale here, the Japanese auto industry isn't likely to carve out a big share of the market for itself. Thomas Watson, chairman of IBM, 1943. I think there's a world market for maybe five computers. Ken Olson, president and chairman and founder of Digital Equipment Corporation, 1977. There is no reason anyone would want a computer in their home. Decca Recording Company, regarding the Beatles in 1962. We don't like their sound, and guitar music is on the way out. Perhaps my personal favorite, and oh, how I wish it would have come true, the New York Times after a prototype demonstration at the 1939 World's Fair. The problem with television is that the people must sit and keep their eyes glued on a screen. The average American family does not have time for this. Hmm. I thought I would make a few predictions of my own for 2013 regarding our staff. I predict in 2013 that I will eat too much junk food. I predict that Pastor Mark will invite me to lunch and then stick me with the bill. <laughs> I predict Pastor David will preach over 30 minutes once in a while. I predict that Paul, our worship pastor, we will not see his ears unless his hair is pulled back in a ponytail. And I have no predictions regarding the women because, frankly, they scare me. <laughs> you know, predicting the future is, is hard. And sometimes it's humiliating when we are wrong. Every year there are predictions made in January, and the next year rolls around, and most of those predictions are proven to be false. Take a look at the sports world, for example. How many of us can predict with accuracy who will win championships? Take a look at Wall Street. How many of us can predict whether the stock market will be bullish or bearish? And the weather, well, we won't even go there. As human beings, that we have, we have certain limitations, and one of the limitations that we have is that we don't have a crystal ball. We have no way to accurately see into the future. Predicting the future is not easy. So what do we make of all these Old Testament prophecies concerning the birth and the life and the death of Jesus Christ. How do we make sense of them? And how can they grow and deepen and impact our faith in Jesus? Today we're continuing our sermon series entitled Back to the Future. And in this series, we've been looking back at Old Testament themes and stories and finding the person of Jesus Christ in them. We're discovering that these stories and scripture passages point us to Jesus. They foreshadow his life and ministry, and we're seeing then in turn how they can impact our life. And so this morning we come to some of the prophecies regarding Jesus. And the scripture passage that was just read a minute ago by, by Dave from Isaiah 53 is just one of many that is full of prophecies in the Old Testament. Uh, it's just the tip of the iceberg. But before we jump in and, and look at some of the prophecies, uh, let's bow in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you that in your word, in John 1, it says the word 
became flesh and dwelt among us. And that your name is Emmanuel, God with us. And we thank you for that. And so, Lord, today we come to your word and we are confident that you are present with us today. That you are still God, Emmanuel, with us. And so, Lord, we pray now that your spirit would focus our hearts and minds on you. And that your word would come alive and help us to grow more like Jesus. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, before we look at some of the uh, Old Testament prophecies, we're going to begin with a, a New Testament passage, just briefly, that has something interesting to say about the prophecies concerning Jesus. It's in the book of 1 Peter. We'll put it on the screen here if you want to follow along. 1 Peter 1, verses 10 through 12. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. Now, at first glance, this seems to be a kind of a strange text, Its meaning is not entirely clear upon a brief or cursory reading. So let me begin with a bit of Bible trivia. This is the only place in the Bible where angels and prophets are mentioned together. You know, the Bible has a lot to say about angels, and the Bible has a lot to say about prophets, but this is the only text where we have them together. And if you study what Peter wrote here, you'll realize he has a lot to say about the prophets with only one little tantalizing detail about angels. So we're going to focus in on the prophets First, who were the prophets? Well, the prophets were simply men in the Old Testament whom God chose to be his mouthpiece, to, to, to communicate God's message to his people and to the world. They were sort of a, a reminder from heaven, and now a word from our Creator. The prophets had two primary jobs, proclaim God's word and predict future events. And, and Peter's concern here in 1 Peter chapter 1 is with the second purpose, the prophets as predictors of the future. He wants us to know that though they predicted the coming of Christ, that they did not understand completely everything that they predicted. You know, I like to kind of think of the prophets as archers who shot arrows of truth up into the air. And so Isaiah shot his arrows of truth, and Daniel, and Ezekiel, and Moses, and, 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 and so on and so forth. And I picture these prophets pulling back the, their prophetic bowstring and watching those arrows of truth disappear up into the sky, not knowing where they would land and when they would be fulfilled, just knowing that, that they was, this was from God and they would just deliver the words and, 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 and then knowing that they would be fulfilled sometime in the future. Did you know that there are over 300 separate of these arrows of truth, 300 separate prophecies in the Old Testament relating to the birth, the life, the ministry, and the death of Jesus Christ? 300 arrows shot up in the air by many different men at many different times, many different places over a 1,500-year period. And all these arrows fell upon Christ and are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. You know, the chances of a one person fulfilling a mere eight of the 300 prophecies are one in one and then 17 zeros after. I'm not sure. We'll say one in kabillion. Okay? One with 17 zeros. That's just eight prophecies. 
for one person to fulfill 48 of these prophecies, the number becomes staggering. One chance in 10 to the 157th power. Add to that the other 250 prophecies, and it's impossible for any person except Jesus to ever fit the particular sequence of time and events of his life. 300 prophecies proving that he indeed was and is the promised Messiah. Here's a few of the predictions regarding the person of Christ made by the prophets. Isaiah 7, 14 predicts that he'll be born of a virgin. Micah 5, 2 predicts that he will be born in Bethlehem. Genesis 49, 10 says that he'll be born into the tribe of Judah, and he was. Isaiah 9, 1 says his ministry will begin in Galilee. It did. Isaiah 35, 5, and 6 say he will perform miracles. And Psalm 78, 2 says that he will teach in parables which we see throughout the Gospels. Zechariah 9.9 predicts he will enter Jerusalem on a donkey like a king to the acclaim of people, and he did on Palm Sunday. Psalm 41.9 predicts he will be betrayed by a friend. He was by Judas Iscariot. Zechariah 11.12 predicts that he will be betrayed by a friend and sold for 30 pieces of silver, which he was. Psalm 35.11 says he will be accused by false witnesses. Isaiah 53, 5, one of many prophecies in Isaiah 53, predicts he will be wounded and bruised. Psalm twenty-two sixteen predicts his feet and his hands would be pierced, and they were. Isaiah 53, again, verse 12, he will be crucified with thieves. Psalm twenty-two eighteen, his garments would be torn and lots cast for them. Psalm 34.20, that his bones would not be broken, and they were not. Zechariah 12.10, that his side would be pierced by a spear. It was. Isaiah 53 again, that he would be buried in a rich man's tomb. He was. And then Psalm 16.10, that he would raise again, be rise, raised again from the dead. And he was. Just a few of the 300 and more prophecies about Jesus Christ given by the Old Testament prophets. Hundreds of years before he walked this earth. All of them fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. Now the prophets did not understand much of what they predicted. I can imagine writing, Isaiah writing something, writing, a virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and asking God, what does this mean? And the same for Ezekiel and for Daniel and Micah and Haggai and all the rest of them. Imagine that 25 men are trying to put together a thousand-piece jigsaw puzzle, but no one has all the pieces and no one has a picture of the has a picture on the front of the box. And add to that fact that these men don't work together, and in fact lived hundreds of years apart from each other. That's what it was like being an Old Testament prophet. David had a few pieces of the puzzle. Isaiah had a couple. Daniel had a few. Zechariah had a couple, so on and so forth. But none of them had all of the pieces. And so these prophets shoot their arrows of truth into the air, knowing only that they will land sometime out of sight in the distant future. But the prophets are not totally out of the loop. They're not clueless. In fact, there is a, there's a theme that comes through in many of the prophecies. And they speak of the suffering of the Messiah and the glory that the Messiah will receive. 
Isaiah 53, then, is a, a whole passage known as the suffering of the servant, the suffering and the glory of the servant. Isaiah 9 speaks about the glory that will come to the Messiah. And Jesus said exactly what would happen. He applied these prophecies to himself when he spoke to the two disciples on the road to Emmaus on the first Easter Sunday, when he said this in Luke 24. How foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? All the prophets, Jesus says here, all of them point to him and speak about him and testify about him. In other words, the Bible is one book with 66 parts, but they all point to the person of Jesus Christ. The Bible says that Jesus is the prophet greater than Moses, that Jesus is the priest greater than Aaron, that Jesus is the king greater than David. He is the theme of the Bible. And all of this is written down so that we would know and benefit in the future and we would know without a doubt that Jesus is the Messiah, the Lord, the King, the Redeemer, the Savior, and the Son of God. And so sometimes when we may doubt our faith, our, we doubt our faith and we all do at times, and we may begin to be tempted to wonder if it's true, if it's just not some fairy tale or wonderful myth, remember this. Christianity is not about our feelings. It's about the written facts of history. It's about the predictions of the prophets that have all come true in the person of Jesus Christ. It's about the person of Jesus Christ. And so when we doubt, remember our doubt does not determine the truth. Doubts will come and go. The truth about Christ, it stands forever. And the truth about Jesus Christ that we celebrate this Christmas and the gift that we receive in faith this Christmas is that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that he was born of a virgin. And the truth we celebrate and the gift we receive this Christmas is that Jesus lived and died for our sins on a cross. And the truth we celebrate and the gift we receive this Christmas is that Jesus Christ is the suffering servant of Isaiah 53, who took upon himself the sins of the world and died that we might live. Author um, Henri Nouwen tells a story of a family that he knew in, in uh, Paraguay. Uh, the father, a doctor, spoke out against the, against the military regime because of, of um, human rights abuses. And so the local police took their revenge on him by arresting his teenage son and torturing him to death in prison. The people of the town were enraged, and they wanted to turn the boy's funeral into a, a huge protest march. But the doctor chose another means of protest. At the funeral, the father displayed his son's body as he had found it in the jail, naked, scarred from electric shocks and cigarette burns, and bruised from beatings. And all the villagers filed past the corpse, which lay not in the coffin, but on the blood-soaked mattress from the prison. It was the strongest protest imaginable, for it put injustice and wickedness on grotesque display. Isn't that exactly what God the Father did on Calvary? The cross that held Jesus' body, naked and marked with scars, pierced, whipped, beaten, exposed all the violence, all the injustice, all the wickedness, all the sin of this world. And at the cross, the cross reveals what kind of world we live in. But it also reveals what kind of God 
that we have. A God who redeems. A God who sacrifices. A God who suffers for us. A God of grace. So this Christmas, as you open the gifts around the trees tomorrow or the day after tomorrow, I want to encourage you to, I urge you to reflect upon the gift that God has given us in Jesus Christ. And I urge you to think deeply about at what great cost that gift came from God the Father. And so as Paul comes to lead us in a closing song, I want to read again Isaiah 53. And I want you to, to listen to the words and think about what Christ has done for us. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was like a lamb to the slaughter as a sheep before her shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away, and who can speak of his descendants? For he was cut off from the land of the living, for the transgression of my people he was stricken. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of his see the light of life and be satisfied. And by his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Let's, Let's pray. God, we thank you for the gift of your Son. And we thank you that that Jesus Christ has done for us what we could not do for ourselves, that he has made atonement for our sin, that he suffered in our place, that we would not suffer forever, that he died in our place so that we would not remain dead forever. Lord, we thank you that he was wounded for us so that we would not remain wounded forever. We thank you for the gift of Jesus, and we we praise him today. We thank you, Lord, for the gift of your Son, who is more than just a baby in a, in a manger, but a King, a Redeemer, a Lord, the Lord, a suffering servant for us. Thank you for Jesus. Amen.